And for our sermon today, we have a message from Mr. Steve Andrews on the theocratic kingdom. Mr. Andrews. In the middle of the year 1948, this soul that stands before you today was born. The world had just finished reeling through one of the most troubling times on this planet Earth. They called it World War II. When men who were dictators decided they wanted to take over the whole earth. There was a short period of time in which there was a little peace, but not much, as right behind it, the Korean War. And of course in 1948 also, the Jews had established themselves in Palestine to the hatred and the consternation of all the Arabs around them. And as I said, in a very short time, we were involved in the Korean War. That being partly resolved, <laughs> as we know today, it really wasn't. There might have been a little short period of peace before we got ourselves embroiled again in Vietnam. And on and on and on, as we see, the world continued to have various conflicts, things that put humanity in dire straits, caused wars, rumors of wars. These governments that came up, dictators, isms like communism, religious bigots such as Islam and Roman, even in the Roman Catholics, as they go further back, as you see the, the Holy Roman Empire and its uh, influence over the world. You know, our own government started out on the foot of right, and they, they felt very comfortable with what they were doing and felt that God was with them. But in all situations, we see human governments have a tendency, because of the weight of government, to collapse eventually. We hope that our government will, will last you know, for a while, but we are seeing wars. We are seeing terrorism. We are seeing lack of leadership. We are eventually now beginning to see the rule of law by minorities that is overcoming the rule of law by God in this nation. All of these things are pointing to the need for some change in the world. And everyone here in this room knows what that change is. We need the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, 
like to open up with Matthew 24 because Jesus, the great prophet, came to this earth to help us to understand what was going on in the world and what would be happening towards the end of the, the age. His disciples asked him that. What's to come? What's going to happen? We want to know. We'd like to understand more fully about your, the signs and your coming. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 4. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And down through history we have had that, haven't we? You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Some of us in this room are older than, than me, and some of you are very young in this room and have not seen all of the trouble that humanity has gone through, all the sadness that humanity has experienced. In my lifetime, it is very sad to see all the wars and all the things that have happened where man has hated man and killed man, done things like the terrorists. It's hard for any man who is a right-thinking person to understand what those two boys did. But Jesus wanted us to not be upset about this because these are the things that are happening in the world. He says, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And it is a sorrowful thing, isn't it? When we see those things happening in the world and we see the situations that, that are happening, 9-11 was a horrible situation for all of us that were alive at that time and remember what happened. We were all saddened. The Morrow Building, the 18th um, anniversary. It's hard to believe 18 years ago, isn't it? Hard to believe 18 years have gone by since that bombing of the Morrow Building downtown Oklahoma City. These are the beginning of sorrows. He says, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then, shall be, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And become, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. These are hard prophecies. To, to, and, and in a day and age, in this modern day and age, you would think we would have worked all that out. But it seems like we are even worse with all the ability to kill one another and all the hatred that's in the world. It seems like that it is even worse than what it, what it was. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. It is the good news message, brethren. The good news about the kingdom of God. My message today is the theocratic kingdom. The kingdom of God. The good news about the kingdom of God. 
I thought about how many different things throughout the Bible there are that reveal the kingdom of God and how God from the very beginning was beginning to reveal that his kingdom was going to come to this earth and that he and Jesus were going to rule all the world. I have seven points that I was thinking about that are revealed in the Bible. And I'm not going to go through all these today. But I have a book I want to, to also introduce to you that I found and I thought was very, very interesting. The seven points. Throughout the Bible, there were covenants that God made. He made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a covenant with David, covenants of salt, covenants with Israel. There are prophecies in the Bible that talk about the coming kingdom of God. God revealed the kingdom in dreams and visions, even to the first um, world ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. By oath, God could swear by no one higher than himself. And he is more than able to bring it about. We have discovered that by holy days and Sabbath, we understand the kingdom. It's a true and wonderful message that we receive through the holy days and the Sabbath. The whole creation, the whole creation reveals the plan and the kingdom of God. And of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That was one of the first things he came and said when he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Ephesians 4, before I introduce uh, this little book here that I found and some of the things that I'm thinking about, God works sometimes in interesting and different ways to inspire us, strengthen us, guide us, lead us, uh, wake us up if we're asleep. Sometimes the things that happen in the world are things to wake us up, to realize that times are short, or maybe the kingdom of God is nearer than what we think. Maybe things are going to happen in the world that are going to bring about that time. We don't know. I'm not going to make any prophetic announcements today. But we do need to be, as the Bible says, watching things. And it always is interesting when this nation was like a hedge was around it for many, many years. Nothing breached the hedge of this nation until recently. And we have started having more and more what I would recall terrorist attacks. We can't get around it. That's what they are. They're breaching our security. They're breaching our comfort zone in this nation. The strong is now becoming weak. It says in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he gave some apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we, can, we all have one of these in our home. In fact, we may have a, uh, a bunch of them. We may have a lot of translations. But when we come and we hear the word or we're uh, introduced to something here in church, it might inspire us or uh, prick our hearts or strengthen us in our spiritual thinking. And that's why we come. That's why he gave these ones, so that we would be perfected for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, because that's what we are. When we come together, we're edifying one another. I may give a message up here, but when we, go to, when we come together and we shake hands and we talk to one another, we're to edify one another. We're to strengthen one another in the good news message. Because that's what all of us have a hope for, is the kingdom of God and the good news of that kingdom that's coming to this earth. In 2 Timothy, we're all familiar with these particular scriptures because they, they've been read very, very, you know, a lot of times. All scripture, verse 16, all scripture. And when, when Paul was writing this, what he was talking about was the Old Testament. But we understand the canonization of the New Testament is extremely important. As Lawrence mentioned, Romans is a powerful book. Corinthians, all of those epistles that Paul read, wrote, and James, and John, and Peter, they're all powerful, and they go together to help us to understand. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished through all good works. That's what we're here for, to listen and to, and to be, sometimes to, to, to learn doctrine, sometimes to be reproved, sometimes for correction, but always for instruction in righteousness, that we might live the life that Jesus Christ wants us to live. Many years ago, <laughs> it's hard to believe that um, a book written in 18, 1884, published in 1884, would have so much interesting stuff in it. But the book is written by, is called the, the, the Theocratic Kingdom of our Lord Jesus the Christ as uh, covenanted in the Old Testament and presented in the New Testament. That's a long um, thing. But like Lawrence, I'm always looking for these books, these books that are out there. Sometimes they just, you know, they fall in your hand and you just wonder why. And it's interesting, this man, like, I'm going to read the back cover because there's a long dissertation about him. But it, he's, he lived from 1825 to 1909. During a long life of increasingly debilitating sickness and near blindness, you, you, you wonder... I wrote down Tyndale, Strong, Crudens, these men. What, what possesses them to sit down and write things like that? I wasn't Strong the one that used little cards uh, to make uh, and then sorted those cards out 
for all of the words. I mean, just think how many words there are in the Bible, and he sorted all those out. And it isn't until modern time that we've had it on the computer. We used to bring the Big Strong's book with us, you know, this big monstrous tome, and we'd lay it on the table, and then we'd start looking for uh, a word, and hear that word you know, and that number, and we'd go through and we'd look for that. All that work. Therefore, a benefit. God is inspiring through the heart. I don't know what I do without my Cruden's concordance. Sometimes it's such a valuable a piece in my in my um, you know a part of my Bible study, the way that he put those words together in there. Anyway, this man here was essentially a Lutheran, and he was hated in his own congregations because of what he had written in this book. Actually, it's three volumes. And each volume is about six, almost 700 pages long. And we'll go through just a, a, a couple of things, just to, just to bring out something about this that I thought has, in, what it's done is inspired me to look into the gospel of the kingdom of God, the theocratic kingdom, and the importance of it. He, uh, he produced the most extensive single work a premillennial thought ever published. Born in New Berlin, Pennsylvania, and after graduating from Wittenberg College, he's pastored a number of Lutheran churches in Ohio. His encroaching blindness, however, did not stop him from writing several commentaries on the New Testament books and other subjects through the, uh, although the theocratic, theocratic kingdom is the only work in print. Um, there was one other point that was kind of interesting and I can't remember just exactly what it was, but uh, about his life. But he was, um, oh yeah, that he spent 18 hours a day working on this, 18 hours, sometimes only getting a couple of hours of sleep and turning right around and getting right back up and working on it and still having responsibilities and pastorships and things that he was doing. It's amazing. Um, I guess without uh, television and, and uh, mobile phones and all those other things, a person has the ability to, to do certain things here. The first chapter, and he uses what is called uh, propositions. He has uh, about 170 different propositions about the, um, about the kingdom. The Theocratic Kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proposition 1, the Kingdom of God is a subject of vital importance. Can you imagine writing the first chapter? The Kingdom of God is a subject of vital importance. For every one of us in this room, that just strikes home as the most important thing. The Scriptures cannot be rightly comprehended without a due knowledge of this Kingdom. He's absolutely right. It is a fact, attested by a multitude of works and constantly presented in all phases of biblical literature, that the doctrine represented the kingdom has materially affected the judgments of men concerning mechanical authority, the credibility, inspiration, and the meaning of the writings contained in the Bible. If an error here, it will in inevitably manifest itself in exegesis and criticism. This feature has been uh, noticed by various writers and however explained, the views entertained on this subject are admitted to greatly modify the reception and interpretation and the doctrinal teaching of the Word. 
It's interesting, those who understand the true gospel of the kingdom of God and how it's presented have a better perspective and a better understanding of the word of God and how that kingdom's coming, how that's going to be set up on the earth. He takes the propositions and then makes observations based on those, pro those propositions. The first observation is a very interesting one, and I, I, there's about eight, eight different points here, and I, I hate to belabor it, but I think what he's saying is so very important. It's, the import its importance may be estimated by considering the following particulars. The kingdom is the object designed by the oath-bound covenant. The oath-bound covenant. It is a great theme, the burden of prophecy. It is the great theme, the burden of prophecy. It is a subject which embraces a larger proportion of the revelation of revelation than all other subjects combined, thus indicating the estimate, estimation in which it is held by God. Number four, it was the leading subject of the preaching of John the Baptist, Christ, the disciples, and apostles. It was a cherished subject of preaching in the primitive church. It is the foundation of a correct scriptural preaching, for the gospel itself is the gospel of the kingdom. To promote its establishment, Jesus appears, suffers, and dies, and to manifest it, he will come again. Jesus Christ himself must be deeply interested in it, since it is a distinguishing blessing um, and honor given to him by the Father and belongs to him as his inheritance. We are invited as the most precious of privileges to inherit this kingdom. It is the constantly presented object of faith and hope which should influence us to prayer, duty, and watchfulness. See how that kind of, just a few words that this man wrote can affect your heart and make you want to, to study the Word of God, the kingdom. It is the result of the preparatory dispensations enabling us to appreciate the means employed to, to attain this end. It embraces within itself perfect, completed redemption for in it all the promises of God will be verified and realized. At the end, all of those promises, all of those covenants, and everything that God has set up and done throughout the ages will be verified and realized. Isn't that amazing? It exhibits an outward form. The pleasure of the divine will in, this, in the salvation of the race and in the deliverance of creation. It brings the divine utterances into unity of design, exhibits, manif exhibits manifested unity, and vindicates the inspiration of the Holy Writ. It vindicates the Bible. The kingdom of God, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, of God vindicates everything in the Bible, including the apocalypse. It enforces not only humanity of Christ, but his divinity with the strongest reasoning. It exhibits to us the majesty and glory of Jesus, the Christ, as theocratic king and the preeminent position of the firstborn who are co-heirs with him. All these, as well as other related points, will be fully discussed in this tome. <laughs> One other 
before I go into uh, some scriptures here, and one point that I want to bring out today, because that's about all I have a, uh, time for, just a real quick point. In, uh, in Proposition 47, the Jews had the strongest possible assurance given to them that the kingdom based on the covenants would be realized. At the time of Jesus Christ, they, they were looking forward to the return or the, the, the coming of Christ. Remember the man that when they brought Christ in, the Holy Spirit had told him that they, he would see Christ before he would die, and he did. And that woman that was a prophetess, she also blessed Jesus. Attention has already been directed to the fact that the prophecies pertaining to the kingdom shall not in their ultimate fulfillment fail. They are unconditional. The reason for this is that they are evolved from covenants confirmed by oath and hence in view of their absolute certainty. No matter how postponed God has given expression to language which affirms beyond all doubt that this kingdom, sustaining a covenant relationship, would at some time in the future be established, and this, too, is covenant in the connection with the national uh, salvation of the Jewish nation. And of course, he didn't, from all I can say, see, he doesn't understand about the, uh, the separation and, the, uh, and on that, but the words are still there, and the understanding is, is still there that that kingdom, the covenant kingdom, will be established on the earth. He makes this one other point, just real quickly here, and I thought this was quite profound. He says, let the, re let the reader place himself in the period before the first advent, with the Old Testament in his hands. Now, what would be his belief in the kingdom? With those covenants and prophecies confirmed by oath and most expressive assurances, surely it would be identical with that of the Jews themselves. It could not be otherwise. If there was faith in God's word and God's oath, can we believe that the first advent of the Messiah obliterated this belief, destroyed the nature of the kingdom, erased the gr grammatical sense of covenant and prophecy, and canceled the oath of the unchangeable? Multitudes do this. But we cannot dare not follow that multitude in, in this manner. God's assurances are too weighty. His word is too pure to allow of such a destructive process. So, in other words, I've only started with this thing, and it's already it's uh, amazing. Some of the things that he's, he, he sees that we see also. No, there's, there's not anything I don't think in these books that, that, that we can't discover or that we don't see. But sometimes what I'm trying to bring out is sometimes even in a message or whatever, we're, we're, we're inspired, we're pricked in the heart or whatever to come to a deeper understanding or to be challenged. To be challenged in our, in our Bible study. To a deeper and more fuller understanding of what God is doing in the world and in our own lives. One real quick I mean, I could belabor it quite a bit because it's uh, something that we've gone over before. But in Daniel, talking about a dream and a prophecy at the same time that was given to the first world ruler, 
And everybody's very familiar with this, but remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom of God being set up on the earth. And the powerful message that's all the way through the Bible, and it is a powerful message, that God's kingdom will be set up on the earth. It's found in Daniel, the second chapter. And we, and for time, time not permitting for uh, uh, you know, all of this to be read. So the, what happened was that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and <laughs> the, he couldn't remember the dream and he said, I wanted to interpret it anyway. Well, they said, well, you've got to tell us what your dream was so we can interpret it. He says, nope. He says, I'm not going to tell you. He says, I, for one thing, I forgot. I don't know what it was. He said, well, we can't do that. He says, okay, you're all going to die. <laughs> you're going to all get your heads cut off. I can't put up with any of you. If you can't interpret my dream, out you go. As uh, the, the Red Queen said, off with their heads. Well, David heard, I mean, uh, Daniel heard about it, and he said, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, give me a little bit of time, and I'll go to God, and I'll find out. I'll find out. And sure enough, God revealed to Daniel this powerful, powerful prophecy that was given in a dream to the first world ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, where all the Babylonian mystery religions started out, of all things. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Beginning in verse 26, the king answered to... Uh, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, and the magicians, and the soothsayers show the king. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. Now this was... This was a profound statement by Daniel. Just standing up in front of this world, this, this dictator, really, he, he thought nothing of killing people. He thought nothing of taking over nations and destroying the nations. And Daniel stood before him and said, God in heaven that reveals secrets makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed are these. Verse 29, as for you, O king, your thoughts came into your mind upon your bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he that reveals secrets makes known to you what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for your, their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that they might know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, saw, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before you, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of brass, its legs of iron, its feet part of iron and part clay. You saw till that stone was cut out of its hands, who smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and, part, and, and clay and broke them in pieces. 
Then the, was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, filled the whole earth. This is the dream. I'll tell the interpretation thereof before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Whatever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, has he given unto your hand, and he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of the gold. You are the head of gold. After you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to you, and another king, third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over the earth. And a fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, as iron that breaks all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And we know that the, you know, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greco-Macedonian, and the, the Roman Empire of these four kingdoms that he's talking about. And the feet are the ones that we're, you know, we're waiting for. Whereas you saw the feet, toes, verse 40, 41, part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. It shall be in it the strength of iron for as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So it's going to be kind of an interesting, strange um, set of bedfellows at the end. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The gospel of the kingdom is preached to this, the first ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. The gospel is preached right there. The good news. For as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron and the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain. The interpretation thereof is sure. You see, God told him this. And God told him at the end, he said, hereafter the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. It is going to happen. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, worshipped Daniel, commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet orders to him. That's only one example out of probably hundreds of hundreds of examples in the Bible about the kingdom of God coming to this earth. I mean, there's so many more that we could go through and we could talk about. But I want, to, I want to end with a thought. Jesus walked upon the earth, and that was his primary goal, was to teach the kingdom of God to all men. The very first thing he began to preach was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The importance of what we see in God's word about the kingdom, even from the Garden of Eden, it was God's desire 
that they would walk in his ways and obey. And it was a very simple commandment. And yet, man's heart, as it says in Romans, is enmity against God. There has to be a change. Brethren, I would like to end with this. Believe the good news because it is coming to this earth.